Cabernet tends to be the sort of Errol Flynn of the great varieties. One of Australia's leading beer judges. People always ask, how do you get involved in sake and how does that connect to music? Because wine is an adventure. Conventional winemakers who just condemn all natural wine as faulty. The prestigious title of sake samurai. Looking at whiskey in more of an artful culinary way. The difference between getting good quality fresh hops, it just translates straight through into the beer. This is the Drinks Adventures podcast. I'm James Atkinson and this is the show where I speak to some of the world's most exciting producers of beer, wine and spirits and uncover trends and issues in the drinks industry today. Founded in 2017 by husband and wife team Lee and Bree Atwood, Backwoods Distilling is a new whisky company located in Yakandanda in Victoria's high country region. Backwoods whiskies are produced using 100% Australian farmed and malted grains from Voyager Craft Malt, located across the border in the Riverina region of New South Wales. They mature their whisky exclusively in barrels that have previously held Australian wine and whisky, where possible using ex-wine casks from local wineries such as Sorenberg in Beechworth and Sion in Rutherglen. Backwoods' first whiskies, a rye and a single malt, were released in August 2020, with both selling out in less than 24 hours. We meet the Atwoods with Lee currently preparing to finish up his full-time teaching job in order to focus purely on the Backwoods distilling business. In a moment, you'll hear from Lee and Bree what it's been like to juggle these different responsibilities over the last four years. What I love about Australian craft spirits is that our distillers are truly free to experiment. We aren't governed by rules and traditions. That's why the flavour and character of Australian spirits is so unique. But it takes distilling prowess and another critical ingredient to bring these products to market. And that ingredient is Bintani. Bintani supplies distillers with malts of all colours, flavours and aromas. They have a leading range of yeast and other ingredients and the professional expertise to help distillers create the spirits of their dreams. Make Bintani your partner in taste and quality. Yeah, look, it's been it's been pretty crazy. Like we've sort of given up pretty much every weekend for the last three years to kind of get this happening. So I'm kind of pretty relieved that the teaching part's coming to an end that, you know, I can just sort of focus my full energy on on sort of what I love doing. And, you know, teaching's been great to me over the years, but I'm really looking forward to sort of moving on and just I'll be able to stop spreading myself so thin across everything and just totally devote my my love to my love of uh yeah, making whiskey, which is pretty exciting. And what about you, Bree? Have you, I understand you've got a background in communications I saw on your LinkedIn profile. Have you been focusing on backwards mostly for the last few years? No, so I work um, part-time, so three or four days a week for the University of Melbourne. They've got a little rural campus in Wangaratta. So I've been working there the whole time and then, yeah, after hours and weekends on distillery stuff. So, yeah, it's been pretty crazy for the both of us. But um, at this stage, I'll hang on to my job. Lee will move in because he's production man. So we need to start spending more time making more whiskey. So we kind of prioritised his his job to be the first to go, I guess. So it's a pretty massive plunge that you've taken. What was it that inspired you both to go down this path? I suppose it all sort of happened when we moved back to the northeast, because we were living in Melbourne since probably 2007 was our last stint. 
We'd been overseas before that and we'd and then Melbourne before that to go to university. And then yeah, around twenty sixteen we just we'd started looking for properties back up in the northeast, which we both grew up in this area. And yeah, found this beautiful property in Yakandanda, made the move with our two boys. Within like a few months, we'd found jobs, sold our house, bought another house, and we were moving up here. And I think it just sort of kickstarted the the idea that we wanted to do something different. And just this whole region, the northeast of Victoria, is just known for its craft artisan makers and producers and growers. And so I guess we were just inspired by things that people were doing here, having grown up around wine region. And it just inspired us to want to give something a go. And we we're both, you know, enjoying whiskey um, as as consumers, as uh, whiskey drinkers. And then yeah, we at least started looking into how it was made and then a little trip to Tassie, met a few distillers down there, came home and he was like, I think we could actually, we could actually make it. I think we could actually put a still in our shed and start making it. The climate was right and um, Lee's, you know, interest in how it was made and, and my sort of love of the whole story around whiskey making, just it all just seemed to fit together and I don't know. I don't remember really thinking about it too hard. Like it just sort of happened. Just yeah, I don't know. It just it was almost like we didn't have a choice. It just all unfolded in front of us, and it just seemed like the the perfect thing to do. And yeah, and like Bree said, the northeast just you know it just has so many great producers in this area, and there wasn't a lot in terms of whiskey, so it just seemed like the perfect opportunity for us. Yeah, and Lee, did you have a background in science at all? Is that what your teaching discipline was? No, my my discipline is actually history, but I've always sort of, (laughs) yeah. But so I I, I certainly love that kind of the whole story and the history of distilling as well. But um, yeah, I've just always had a pretty keen interest in learning. So whether it's really history or or science, I've just always been a, a pretty eager learner. You've been and studied the IBD distilling course. That would have helped. Yeah, absolutely. So when we decided to take the plunge and we ordered the still, I I sort of had about six months to wait. So I thought, here's the perfect opportunity to actually get some formal qualifications. So yeah, I engaged in that for about three or four months and got it all done. And at the same time, I bought a little test still and just sort of practiced my craft as I was learning. So yeah, that was a fun time. I I learned so much. Mm. I remember you mashing in an esky. Yeah. Back then, yeah. <laughs> in the nesky in the in the kitchen and yeah, yeah. making a mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when did you decide it was going to be whiskey specifically? Was there any particular moment overseas perhaps or travelling around Australia where you were where you were trying some whiskies and thinking this is if we're going to have a crack at making something it's going to be whiskey rather than gin or rum or whatever else. <laughs> yeah, I, I I always sort of blame our kids that we, um, when we when the kids came along we were sort of seeing at home a lot. And, you know, drinking, rather than going out on a Saturday night, we started just drinking some sort of quality whiskies. And and it, it probably was really when we tasted the Australian stuff that really inspired us. You know, we sort of did the tour through the, the you know, we started on Irish malts and then worked through Scottish malts. But then when we landed on Australian stuff, I don't know, there was just something that it sort of just turned from a love to an obsession, I suppose. And that there was a real kind of buzz going on at that time around sort of craft spirits. And I think, yeah, just sort of got caught up in that and just really wanted to not only be a part of it, but sort of feel like we we could contribute something. And I think, like, yeah, you can be connected to the industry when you're drinking Australian spirits, then you can go and meet the distillers, visit the distillery, and that that whole side of it was really what, yeah, what we were interested in, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a, there was a, there's sort of a real camaraderie, you know, in the Australian whiskey scene amongst the distillers, and and I and I felt that even just when I went down and and sort of yeah took that tour of Tassie to learn. So yeah, sort of really wanted to be a part of that. So what have the last few years been like, apart from you know how busy you've been managing this startup in tandem with your own careers? But you know, has it been a real steep learning curve? Have there been moments where you've thought, "Wow, what, what have I gotten myself into?" Or has it been smooth sailing? <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's I, I guess in in some respects it's been fairly smooth sailing, but but we are a little bit adventurous, so we are sort of I guess following tradition in some ways in the process, but we are I guess trying to push some boundaries too. So, you know, we, we are sort of using grains that uh, probably haven't really been used before and we're trying casts that haven't really been used before. So mm. I guess with whiskey, the learning curve, because of the maturation time, you know, it's it's not that steep because you've got time to, to sort of even the mistakes out, I suppose. But, we're yeah, I, I don't think we've had any real disaster moments yet. Not disasters. There's been some pretty high-stress moments, yeah. I say. Like, you know... Um, Particularly before our first release, you know, we were pretty nervous about that, about how, you know, the reaction to to the release and if we, because it was all in a digital, you know, landscape, there was no face-to-face launches and that's sort of what we were expecting at the start of the year. We expected to be at whiskey bars having launches and inviting people to Yak and Danda to meet us. We thought the distillery door could be up and running by then. And I suppose, you know, plans, everyone's plans for 2020 have changed, so it, the fact that it was all online was pretty nerve-wracking because we do get such a buzz out of meeting people, um, tasting whiskey with them, and and we found that the festivals and events that we'd been to previously, you know, people were so interested in talking to us about what we were doing. So, yeah, it was nerve-wracking launching it all digitally, but then that night that we launched when it all sort of kicked off and sales started coming in pretty quick, yeah, then the stress went down a bit, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose you must, like I would imagine, being in that situation, you're thinking, "Gee, I hope someone buys all this yeah. whiskey because uh, if no one does, then then we're in some trouble." Yeah. But if you know, then as soon as the sales come through, you you all it gives you a lot of confidence. Yeah, yeah. I made a pretty big error that on that first release because I'd set up the website and I'd forgotten to like tick that the the, the shopping cart icon would appear. <laughs> so everybody's like trying to buy it and they couldn't get to the shopping cart. So we just had. Like all these emails and calls and messages, like we can't buy it, we can't buy it. So that was a stressful moment. Yeah, that was pretty stressful. But we sorted it out in the end. <laughs> Tell me about the first two products that you've got. So there's the rye and the single malt. How did you arrive at these two products, and what makes them different to what else is on the market? Yeah, sure. I guess I, I could start with the rye because I, I think that's probably what really was the the thing that inspired me the most. And I've told this story a bit, but when when I visited um, Peter Bignall in Tasmania and tasted his rye, I just sort of, I just fell in love with ryes. And, you know, I sort of started exploring American ryes and just sort of felt that there was an opportunity there to probably do rye in some, you know, in some different casks. And, you know, there's a category there to be explored. So the rye that we use is grown by Voyager Craft Malt and that rye was an old heirloom grain that had been neglected and it was on one of their neighbours' paddocks for, they reckon, a good 30 or 40 years where it sort of became sort of hardened by drought and it sort of grows very small and it's, yeah, sort of, yeah, very hearty and very full of flavour. So we selected that rye and spent a fair bit of time with R&D on that because it's is it's got such a punchy flavour to it. And messed around with the mash bill. And ended up with 
uh, I suppose, some barley in there, but a little bit of um, of a variety of winter wheat as well. And it just really tamed it out and sort of uh, sort of flattened the curves a bit, I suppose, and the, flattened the peaks. So that rye itself, I guess the mash bill is pretty unique in that it's a 60% rye mash bill and just a really unique rye. So we've done that as well in some local Shiraz casks. And when I say local, I suppose I mean Australian Shiraz casks out of the Barossa. So that it's pretty unusual, the combination of, I guess, a spicy kind of rye and, and I guess, a spicy kind of wine. But they just work really, really well together. The single malt, we, we selected that really carefully because we do live in a pretty celebrated wine area. We really wanted our first release to be from, I guess, some casts that we got from around here. So we selected some tawny casts that, yeah, that came out of the northeast. And I guess the grains in that single malt are a selection of, of things from Voyager and a pretty, again, a pretty complex mash bill that took a lot of time to, I guess, to settle on it. Yeah, so I guess we consider that, the single malt, to be a little bit of a, a, a tilt of the hat to where we live and sort of, and the producers in this area that have, you know, sort of paved the way for, I guess, successful craft producers of northeast Victoria. And they were both, I think I recall that they were vatted releases. They weren't single cask releases. What's your release schedule going to look like from here? Look, as much as possible, we will probably vat things and just for a consistency of, of the product. But in saying that, we our second release, which we just sold out of, was a single cask release. So For the single malt. For the, for the single yeah. malt, yeah. So, look, generally we, we will try and vat things, but I think when a cask like that one just stands out the way it did to us for, mm. you know, the sort of three years of, that it matured, it just constantly, you know, just stood out from the rest that we thought, look, this has just got to go as, as a single cask. It's just it's too good on its own. Mm. I suppose the challenge for us is we're still really learning about our releases and what we want the backwards flavour profile to be. So... It is probably one of the most challenging parts is selecting the casks, would you say? Yeah, and I suppose being small and wanting to sort of start, uh, the way we've started to try and do just the Mar and Par team meant that we haven't been able to produce huge amounts in the first three years. So essentially, I guess we're talking about kind of batch releases for the first couple of years to sort of match our what our production was like in those first few years. But we very much want to move towards some staples and some sort of regulars in our lineup. I know there was the announcement a few weeks ago now about the government grant, and I believe that was towards the distillery cellar door and also I think maybe towards some equipment as well, which might help with ramping up production. Yeah, so we were lucky enough, we applied for two streams in that grant program and we were lucky enough to receive one from each stream. So the first one went towards the purchase of another still. So we've got another 500 litre copper still waiting to be installed at the new site. And the second stream grant that we got was for the fit out of the distillery door that we're moving into um, where work has started this last week on that move. So the smaller steel we're, we're putting into production um, on our gin that we've decided to do just in the last few months, really, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to add gin to the range just because I suppose once we started releasing and the thought of opening up a distillery door, knowing the product volume that we have on offer, we just knew that we needed some more product to have available at the distillery door. So we're hoping that the gin will help with that as well. But whiskey is obviously, that's where your passion lies and backwards will be a whiskey-led business. Yeah, 100%. And that's why we really worked hard to establish ourselves as a whiskey distillery. That was really important to us. And gin wasn't really even on our radar for the first 
two or three years. And I suppose it's just been this year that we've decided, or well, we had a lot of advice too from other distillers that just to have the gin at the cellar door is a really good way to diversify. And actually, I did a, a little post on our socials the other night and I got so many messages from people saying, oh my God, my girlfriend is so excited and now she's definitely going to come visit, you know, the distillery door with me. So I think it's a really good decision for our business, especially with the distillery door opening up at the end of the year. I suppose, unfortunately, not everyone loves whiskey. So <laughs> to have that other option, I think is going to be really good for us. And yeah, and the gin we've come up with, we're, mm. we're pretty proud of. It's actually, it's been a lot of fun um, doing that over the last few months and and, and coming up with a with a list of botanicals. And again, we've tried to do something, I suppose, that really represents where we live, where our house is. We're actually next to a bush block and there's and when, in the morning when you get that fresh morning air or even a bit of rain, you just get this beautiful smell of kind of eucalypt and, and sort of, it's almost like a peppermint smell. Mm. So I really wanted to try and incorporate that. So I've got some peppermint gum in there and some strawberry gum and some other things as well, wattle seed and tastes great. Tell me what people are going to be able to experience at the distillery door. Sure. So the way we're going to set it up, it tells the story from grain to bottle, basically, as you walk through. So everything's going to, I guess, line one wall. And as you kind of walk through, it, whether it's either a, a tour with one of us or a self-guided tour with some sort of information that we'll provide in the distillery. So you can see basically grain to bottle sort of unfold in order as you walk through. There's also a few stories we're pretty keen to tell about distillation in the area. And I guess not only Australia's sort of history of distillation, but the Yak and Dander in particular, because this was a, a gold rush area, there are some pretty cool stories about the kind of things that were going on in the gold fields. There's actually a little area just w- was originally outside of Yak and Dander called Whiskey Flat, and they used to illegally distill spirits out there. So that's going to be a pretty cool story we get to tell. <laughs> this is Lee's love of history and whiskey combining in the perfect way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, I think it's really cool to be able to kind of, um, you know, bring in that mm. heritage of, of the area as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, there's a little area, Whiskey Flat, and next to that is Rowdy Flat. So <laughs> Whiskey Flat, they made the booze and went <laughs> over to Rowdy, Rowdy Flat where they, where they party. party. Yeah. Yeah, so all of our production will happen at the new site. So we've got a couple of extra fermenters being installed. So we'll be able to hopefully up our production especially with Lee moving into the distillery full-time. And then we've got a tasting sales area and we're hoping to host some events with other local producers. So we've, we work with um, some wineries in, in Rutherglen on some collaboration projects and we've done collab with Bright Brewery on a beer with them, uh, whiskey. <laughs> and a beer whiskey, yeah. <laughs> beer whiskey. Um, so we're really hoping to, yeah, to use our space as a way to promote the whole region and all the great things that are made here. I guess in in one sense you're probably fortunate that you haven't you hadn't just sort of opened the distillery door, you know, before all this happened. Oh, I know we talked about that because we took the lease over in January actually, and we'd sort of had in our heads that maybe April May we'd we'd sort of move in and we'd be open for the launch of our release in August, and you know Lee had talked about resigning from work so that we could put time into the distillery door and. And thank God we didn't because, yeah, we just thought if we had have opened and then this had have happened, we wouldn't have survived it. So I think, yeah, it was yeah lucky for us and in a way. And then I think the way the world kind of really adapted to that virtual <laughs> way of doing events and, and launches sort of worked in our favour a little too because we still managed 
to work with sort of whiskey and almond, you know, in Melbourne on a launch and Oak Barrel have had us on a couple of online events with them. We've managed to, yeah, still really have a successful launch of our products virtually. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess that's what's really cool about the whiskey community too, is that they just adapted so quickly and really got behind. Like I know mm-hmm. there's been quite a few new whiskey distilleries that have launched this year. And and I know that all the ones I speak to have just had the same experience. You know, they've just had people coming out and just buying their stuff and, and you know, participating in their Zoom events. And mm. yeah, so that's been, that's been awesome. Like, so really, I guess in the, in the COVID context, we're actually a really positive story and it, it hasn't affected us too much other than we probably, the distillery door probably would have been open mm. maybe mid, mid-year, but you know, that's okay. We've had a really successful launch anyway. Yeah. So when is it going to be open? We're we're crossing our fingers for Christmas. Mm. The plumbers and electricians are in there today as we speak, and they're they're, they're trying very hard to get it all done for us. So mm. we should yeah. be able to open a version of it. I think pre Christmas. Um, there's a lot of locals and surrounding area locals that really want to come and get some backwards products for Christmas presents. So we have saved a few bottles from each release for that reason. So we're hoping that we can have a little opening weekend and then be open during the January holidays officially. It sounds like you've put a lot of thought into everything you do and I'm sure you would have with the 500ml bottles and the sort of pricing structure that you've gone with. Tell me what your thinking was there because, you know, you would have heard that's something we've talked about a lot on, on the podcast with a lot of smaller producers like yourselves but then a handful of big guys that are coming in and really probably putting a lot of pressure on small guys to try and, you know, align their pricing a little bit closer to what the bigger companies are able to do. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the whole conversation around it is really interesting around the 700 versus 500 and the pricing structure. So I suppose we really considered before our first release um, how we wanted to go out to market and having had already decided on the 500ml bottles early on just because we knew that our batches were going to be small. So having more bottles out there was was sort of a priority for us. You know, with the, the latest single malt release that we did, it was single cask. We had like 150 bottles. So it's not, it's not a lot of products, not a lot of, you know, customers to, to fulfil. And we're definitely fielding more queries from people that miss out than people that get a bottle. So the 500 mil was for that reason. And then pricing-wise, you know, Lee's worked out a formula of what it costs for us to make it. And we sort of worked back from a distributor pricing. So we do give a small amount to a distributor and then wholesale pricing and then the retail pricing. So it's all kind of structured down that way for us to still, you know, we still need to make a few dollars from from the bottles that we give to the distributor. So we're pretty confident in the pricing that we've chosen um, and confident that we can, you know, that it's, um, I feel like it's respectful to the consumer and we're trying to build that that respect and reputation, I guess. Yeah, I guess, we, yeah, we sort of, uh, we, we've always wanted to be a whiskey that's, I, I guess, accessible and accessible to people. So mm-hmm. we sort of feel that we're in it for the long haul. And I think our pricing structure, um, you know, for, you know, we've seen first releases as high as $250, $300 and, and our first release at 134 like we just felt that was honest and fair to the consumer with the idea that, hey, guys, you know, please buy it and, <laughs> and we're in this for the long run. So, And looking into the future, you know, that we might look at bigger bottles when our volume gets bigger um, and that will change our pricing. But I think one thing that I suppose 
I find interesting is that a lot of whiskey consumers will sort of compare the smaller craft distilleries to the things that Starwood and Archie Rose are doing. And, you know, that's understandable because if you don't know the differences between all of the different distilleries that are out there, but it's just, you just can't compare distilleries around Australia because we've all got such a different structure where the location is such a huge thing, you know, being located in a rural town is completely different to being located in a metro area. We also, you know, it's not really our ambition to be to be that big. Um, we sort of want to look after our local market here in Yakandanda and, and make enough to, you know, supply a, a loyal customer base. So we have a different business model and a different goal, I suppose. And we just need to be confident that the decisions we make for our business suit suit those goals and those objectives that we have. And so far, I think it seems to be working. Um, we do have a pretty passionate, loyal base already. Of, of We have, you know, a founders club of 250 and they're pretty good ambassadors for us. And I know a lot of the people that bought the first release then went and bought the second release. So I think, yeah, I mean, you can sort of get a bit caught up in what happens on the whiskey forums, but we try <laughs> to not get... Oh, don't, I, don't read the comments is yeah, a good rule to live by, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there was a bit of a discussion on 500 mil bottles a couple mm. of weeks ago, actually. <laughs> yeah, on one there of those was. Forums. And you guys would have been watching that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do sometimes write and give a little bit of an insight into into our decision making as a small craft distillery of, you know, two people in a in a rural town just to sort of, yeah, yeah give a little bit of um, rationale behind what we do. And I think people do appreciate that because I get a lot of, you know, DMs afterwards saying, oh, thanks, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way or, you know, I didn't realise you guys were based, you know, where you are or... So I think, you know, it's important to to jump in there every now and then but then to let the consumers sort of have their, their to and fro as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. It's I, I'm getting better and better at not listening and tuning into that stuff. But that breeze taught me that. <laughs> well, I think though that the people that take the time to come and visit us, or you know, even just chat online, or give us a call and learn about what we're doing, they have no problem in the you know the pricing or the bottle size, or yeah. they understand where it comes from. So I'm more interested in sort of working with with those people around yeah, making great whiskey for them that. And, and uh, yeah, loyal backwards customers, I suppose. Yeah, but I think any, yeah, most reasonable people, when they sort of realise where it comes from and how you do it, and as soon as they understand that, I, I, I think most people are on, on side. And I was just on your website earlier, it looks like there is a bit of rye left from the last batch, but when will you, you don't yet have a date for when batch three of both the rye and single malt will be available? Um, I would say... We're probably looking at about four to six weeks. Um, Bree's looking at me sideways, but um, <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we we definitely want to get something ready for Christmas, so it'll be the batch. A single malt. Yeah, a single release. malt and a rye. I mean, it's hard, you know, we hand label and bottle, like, every bottle ourselves, so it does take time to get through, and if we're going to do a vatting, we might have a few hundred bottles to yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be, it'd be a bit busy time. To but, yeah, we'll manage it. Bree and Lee, it's been really nice to talk to you. I know we were originally going to do this in person, uh, but good to talk to you online nonetheless and we can hopefully catch up over a dram at some point in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. Please, yeah, We'd love to meet you. Yeah, please do visit. The Drinks Adventures podcast is produced by me, James Atkinson, with additional production and mixing by Dave Robertson. 
You can find complete transcripts, links, and other information on the show at drinksadventures.com.au. You can follow me on all social media platforms at by James Atkinson. Like my Facebook page, James Atkinson Drinks Adventures, to be kept informed of podcast giveaways and other news about the show. The Drinks Adventures podcast needs your support as listeners. Please do us a favour and leave an honest review and rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. We love hearing your feedback and it helps inform other people this is a show worth listening to. Or simply drop us a line at hello at drinksadventures.com.au.